Many moons ago, there was a big lake in the Western Territory of the United States. Native American tribes called it Da'a, which translates basically to lake. Some say there's a 60-foot monster, just like the Loch Ness Monster, that lives in the deep, known today as Tahoe Tessie. Some even say that there are hundreds of bodies at the bottom, perfectly preserved from the freezing cold, deep, dark waters, and if your fishing line is long enough, you might just catch an ear or a piece of skin. This lake is famous today, known as Lake Tahoe. Bumper stickers can be found all around that says, Keep Tahoe Blue. But what if I told you the name of this lake, Lake Tahoe, is controversial? and I would argue, should be reverted to its previous name in the name of history. In this episode of Ricky's Historical Tidbits, I will be sharing with you why we should be instead seeing bumper stickers that say, Keep Bigler Blue. This is Ricky's Historical Tidbits Podcast, and this is Ricky Mortensen. The lake we now know as Lake Tahoe has had many other names. The natives simply called it Lake Travelers called it Mountain Lake. General John Fremont, during an expedition in the Sierra Nevada, called it Lake Bonpland, honoring a French botanist Jacques-Alexandre Bonpland, though the name didn't stick. It went on to be Mountain Lake or Mahion Lake. Then in 1854, it was named uh, Lake Bigler to honor the third governor of California, John Bigler. But then, in 1862, it was changed to Lake Tahoe, and then a couple years later, back to Bigler Lake, and then in 1945, Lake Tahoe. If you don't know who John Bigler is, that's okay. Most haven't. And those that have typically allow their political beliefs to simply label him as an evil racist, just like every other person in human history until they came about. History is nuanced, which means complicated. And people, even more so, are very complicated creatures. So who was John Bigler, and why was Lake Tahoe previously called Lake Bigler? Let's go over his early life real quick to give you a picture of how he came to power as the governor of California. John Bigler was born in Pennsylvania back in 1805. He was never traditionally educated, as uh, government schools had not been in place yet, and education requirements for children didn't exist yet. He learned what he could from his parents and then self-taught from different books and then taught his younger brother the same. By the time he was 26 years old, he and his brother bought a newspaper and he worked as the editor for a few years before he decided to go to law school. Fast forward all the way to the time he was 43 years old, James Marshall found gold at Sutter's Mill in California and news quickly traveled across the country. President Polk announced that discovery that December. John and his family then sought to go to the rapidly growing California where he could practice law. So, a few months with an ox train, he arrived in Sacramento to find there was no shortage of lawyers there. With no job or home, John pitched a cheap cloth tent which his family lived in and got drenched when it rained. While he worked odd jobs, some of which were an auctioneer, a freight unloader at the docks by the Sacramento River, a wood chopper, and a mattress maker. Then, California had its first general election, so John jumped in quick for a life of politics. Running as a Democrat representative from the city of Sacramento, he won and quickly moved up to become Speaker in 1850. 
Something you'll see as a trend is that Bigler was not afraid to roll up his sleeve and do some hard work when the time called for it, even though he was a, quote, rotund man. In 1850, there was a really bad epidemic in Sacramento of a disease called cholera. Cholera is a bacterial infection in the intestines that comes from drinking unsafe water or food, and it caused really bad diarrhea, which, of course, could cause dehydration and death. About a thousand people died in the Sacramento area within three weeks. Most people fled the city as fast as they could, but John Bigler stayed and helped the doctors and undertakers, eventually getting cholera himself, but he lived. The next year, John was nominated at the Democratic Party convention for governor of California. His opponent was a Southern Whig who called him a gruff Yankee Northerner. The race was very close, but Bigler won by just over a thousand votes, making him the third governor of the state of California. He was inaugurated in 1852, and his main focus was to protect the local mining companies from outside monopolies. One of the first things that happened as governor was that emigrants were stuck in the Sierra Nevada mountains, similar to the story of the Donner Party who came a few years earlier. So Bigler and a bunch of other men went to rescue the travelers. This helped boost Bigler's popularity, though some say it was just a publicity stunt. In fact, there was a duel over this. A newspaper man said Bigler had just done this as a stunt, and then there was the man who led the rescue and challenged the newspaper man to a duel. The newspaper man lost, being shot in the belly and dying within five minutes. One of the big negatives on Governor Bigler's legacy and reputation was his view of the Chinese. <clears throat> the problem was that mining was already a somewhat low-paying job. Tons of men came to strike a rich, but found out quickly how hard it actually was to find that gold. Some got lucky, most didn't, and would either get regular jobs or work for a mining company for a certain wage. To help me illustrate this, uh, let's say the miners worked for minimum wage. The Chinese were coming in droves and offered to work for less than the American miners. There were other immigrants as well, not just Americans, which is already a kind of a broad term. People from all over the world worked and were paid about the same minimum wage. They embodied the melting pot ideal of America, but the Chinese refused to assimilate and would make Chinatowns instead, and took the jobs of the miners because they would work for less than the minimum wage. So Mr. Bigler did what he thought would help the American miners and force the Chinese to up their prices by putting an extra tax on the Chinese of $3 a month on top of the already $20 a year that came from the foreign miners' tax. But as all things in government, Bigler went even further and the taxes got even more harsh to the point he had instituted a $50 a person tax that must be paid within three days of arriving in California, but that was only for the Chinese. That one, luckily, got scrapped by the Supreme Court, though. Now, back to the timeline. Bigler's first term was about to be over. Back then, a term was only two years. Around this time, there was some grumbling in Southern California, which was where the majority of pro-slavery citizens lived. Now, these guys were pushing for California to be split into two states, a free in the north 
and a slave in the South. The Democrats themselves split into two different parties for this particular um, election. Pro-slavery Southern California Democrats called themselves the Chivalry and also went by the, the Lecompton Democrats, while Bigler and his group ran as the Free Soil Democratic Faction. Even with the Democrats splitting the vote and running against a Whig, Bigler won re-election for a second term. Bigler's second term began in 1854, which is when his popularity peaked. Before 1854, California's state capital location changed all the time. It would be here, and then it would be over there, and then over there, and then over there, and back over here. Finally, in 1854... Bigler signed it into law that the state capital would be the city of Sacramento. Now, as this new capital in the city of Sacramento was being built, the stand-in capital was the Sacramento County Courthouse. In that courthouse was a big eight-foot-tall, five-foot-wide painting of George Washington. The courthouse caught fire one day, and Bigler ran to the courthouse, grabbing a few men and rushing into the burning building to retrieve that painting. Today, it's hanging up in the Senate Gallery at the state capitol. Now, the significance of that was that this is a copy of the one that hangs in the House chamber over in Washington, D.C., and it still does today. Fun fact, the one in D.C. is also a copy. After this, calls for that big lake and the mountain to be named after Governor Bigler were made and answered. Though, I have to note, Lake Tahoe as we know it today was not a big travel destination. There weren't any roads to it. Hardly anybody knew it even existed. Even though it was so big, it was in the middle of nowhere. Bigler's name only became a problem when the lake became a destination. After his second term, Bigler ran for a third, but lost. From there, he was appointed to be the Minister of Chile, which he partially got due to the help of his brother, who was the governor of Pennsylvania at the time. Now, after doing that, he ran for U.S. Congress. But this time, his politics had changed. He ran as a Southern-friendly Democrat in 1863, which was in the middle of the Civil War. He lost, and more than that, he lost the name on the lake. California by then was different politically as well. Leyland Stanford, who was a Republican, was the governor, and places named after now-known Confederates were being renamed, one of which happened to be Lake Bigler. It was headed by a resort hotel manager by the lake, Robert Dean. He asked the tribe nearby what they called the lake, and they said Tahu. So, when the mapmaker from the Department of the Interior came along to make a new map, he asked what the lake was called, and Mr. Dean told him, Tahu. Then, when it was properly announced in the newspaper, they made a typo and called it Lake Tahoe. You would think that would be the end of the story, but not quite. Most people didn't really care, but some hated this new name. Mark Twain despised it. Here's what he said about it. I hope some bird will catch this grub the next time he calls Lake Bigler by so disgustingly sick and silly a name as Lake Tahoe. 
I have removed the offensive word from his letter and substituted the old one, which at least has an English-Christian twang about it, whether it be pretty or not. Of course, Indian names are more fitting than any others for our beautiful lakes and rivers, which knew their race ages ago, perhaps in the morning of creation. But let us have none so repulsive to the ear as Tahoe, for the beautiful relic of a fairy land forgotten and left asleep in the snowy Sierras when the little elves fled from their ancient haunts and quitted the earth. They say it means fallen leaf. We'll suppose it meant fallen devil or fallen angel. Would that render its hideous, discordant syllables more endurable? Not if I know myself. I yearn for the scalp of the soft-cell crab, be he Injun or white man, so conceived of the spoony, slobbering, summer complaint of a name. Why, if I had a grudge against a half-piece, I wouldn't be mean enough to call him such an epithet as that. Then... How am I to hear it applied to the enchanted mirror of that viewless spirits of the air make their toilets by and hold my peace? Tahoe. It sounds as weak as soup for a sick infant. Tahoe. Be forgotten. I just saved my reputation that time. In conclusion, grub. I mean to start to Lake Bigler myself Monday morning or somebody shall come to grief. Eventually, Democrats got back into power, and they quickly changed the name back to Bigler in 1867. But by then, it didn't really matter. Lake Tahoe was there to stay. However, it wasn't until 1945 that the name officially changed from Bigler to Tahoe. Now, to finish up on Bigler's life, he was appointed by President Johnson to be the assessor for the IRS in the Sacramento District, but the Senate didn't confirm him. After that, he was appointed to be the uh, railroad commissioner for the Central Pacific Railroad. And then after that, he moved on to create a newspaper called the State Capitol Reporter. And then he died in 1871 at the age of 66 years old. Like I said in the beginning, history is nuanced. And people in history, even more so. Renaming things for political or ideological reasons has been part of human history forever. The important thing is this, and you can put it on a bumper sticker. Keep Lake Bigler blue. That's it for this video. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. You've been listening to Ricky's Historical Tidbits Podcast. When you go to school and study history... They give you dates, they give you some names, and that's about it. But there's a lot more to California history, and that's where this show comes in. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from the show, and we hope you were entertained. And we'll be back soon, but in the meantime, hook up with us on Twitter and Instagram at busy underscore Ricky. Find us on Facebook at Ricky's Historical Tidbits. Till next time, this is Ricky's Historical Tidbits Podcast, signing off.